Aloha, warriors. What's up? Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the aspiring servant warrior I have with me. Uh, another one of my surf brothers, and uh, stoked to have him on. Uh, representing Team Hawaii, Mr. Josh Vogel. How are you, sir? Oh, we're doing great today. Yeah, aloha, yeah. Josh. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, man, because so I, I, I didn't start surfing until a few years ago, and so I, I got that connection, but like the, the martial art I studied and have studied has origins in, uh, in the island. So I, I, I don't feel quite as weird. I'm like the only, the one, uh, mainlander you'll meet that loves, uh, spam Musa B maybe as much as, uh, the locals who knows. Nice. Nice. <laughs> oh, I love it. Right on, man. But, uh, man, so I met you my first and only time to Hawaii, which I have to absolutely fix, uh, at the 2018, uh, Hawaiian, uh, adaptive championships. And I think you were like, that was like 2018. You were fresh into serving at what, like maybe like a year, if that? Uh, almost. Not or even, at least post, was, post injury, maybe, I think. I was five months into surfing when I went to Duke's Fest in 2018. Yeah. And my, I, I, my first meeting you um, wasn't actually on the beach. You had paddled out before the contest pre-dawn to go sunrise surf out at um, Queens. I don't and think that was me. It wasn't you. You didn't. That wasn't out? me. Oh, no. no, I no. So so with Dukes, um, when I got there, man, uh, <clears throat> we had we had missed our f- connecting flight from San Diego to L.A. From or, or, or our flight got delayed, and so we missed our flight to Honolulu. We landed at like ten forty-five, the day I was supposed to compete, oh. and so we're like. Um, we're in the air, right? And and I don't know what happened or whatever, but they basically, the airline put us up and we flew out of Los Angeles at like eight o'clock uh, California time, land in Hawaii at like 2.45 or in Honolulu, like 10.45, rush straight to the contest site. I already had my baggies on underneath my my uh, regular you know shorts or whatever. So didn't even have to change, went straight to the contest site, rolled up about like noon, and the beach marshal was like, yeah, you got 20 minutes. So you paddle out. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> and then like the one and only time I have ever been uh, in place ahead of Matt Formstam, I couldn't even get out to the outside because I didn't have time to get into a good position. So literally I'm riding reforms and the waves were so flat before, cause that was the, yeah. the hurricane hadn't quite picked up. The waves are so flat that the reforms were better than the outside. And for the one and only time in my career, I placed the head of Matt Formston in a heat. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember that. I remember the waves were yeah. flat. Like as the hurricane was getting closer, the waves were getting flatter. Yeah. The the Wednesday that we had though, they picked up a little bit. But oh, they, they did. That, was, that last day it was um it was pretty good out there. But I the, I distinctly remember and maybe it was the first time, maybe it wasn't or whatever, but I remember meeting you, you were, you were, uh, like coach Chris introduced us and what's, what got me really like immediately, you know, paying attention to you though, you were like super positive, like excited to be there. You were like, dude, this is such a rad, you know, um, like, I don't know, like there was, there was like a, like a boyish delight of just being able to be part of the party. Like, I don't know if that's how you remember it, but no, I mean, being, that was my first actual paddle out out of the out in front of the duke statue 
And um, so to be at an event that was not only for Duke's birthday, but um, right. Duke's Ocean Fest. And this is my first ever surf contest. So I, That was I your just, first surf contest, dude. It was my first surf contest. And I'm, like all of a sudden there's, what's there, like a hundred of us about? It was, a, it was not a small contest, I'll tell you that. No, I was, I was blown away. But um, yeah, it was uh, Coach Chris... Um, he and I met. We hadn't because that's in that's person. when he was still. That's when he was still with Access Hawaii. Were you surfing with another crew? Like, because you're on a different island, right? Or were at the time? No, yeah, my friend um, Evan Strong from Team USA, the Paralympic snowboard team. Okay, gotcha. I had met him um, before I had ever started surfing, um, snowboarding. I was trying out for the Paralympic snowboard team. And, um, so we met at one of the, the nationals or world cup events. And, um, so I heard the announcers say the flying Hawaiian from Haiku and my parents have a house in Haiku. So we got to talking and, um, so that summer he ended up moving to Hawaii and he's who taught me how to surf. That's rad, dude. Yeah. That's so cool. So, so yeah, um, that was my first time actually taking an, an eight foot surfboard on a plane and, flying into an airport and going, okay, how, how do you do this? Like I, I got off the baggage claim and they just kind of bring the surfboard out and set it there. And I'm like, okay, I got my, I got my rolly backpack. I got this surfboard bag. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I need a minivan. So I remember like going out to the curb and like flagging down my first cab to uh, right. take me to the event. Wow. That's a trip, man. Yeah. Um, so like you, you did mention the Paralympic surfing. I'm, I'm sure people are always interested when they hear Paralympic, whatever that they, they want to know the deal. Um, obviously, you know, like me, I'm way bigger and, and not at all defined just by my blindness. You're not defined by your accident or whatever, but, uh, can you get people the skinny on it? Like what, what the, the transitional period was for you? Like where yeah. that happened? Um, and, and how you surf maybe too, would probably be helpful for folks. Oh yeah, missing. I'm missing both legs below the knee, so double BK amputee, and all of my right hand, and um, I do have half of my left hand. So I, I paddle just normal as anyone else paddles, and then I pop up and ride on my knees. Um, so I've, I've actually tried surfing in prosthetic legs, and I just have better control and performance on the wave if i am um, am riding on my knees do you feel a little bit more connected to your board if you're on your knees too oh my gosh yeah it's i everything from my my stumps from my knee down is right. basically my foot so i can i can do all my toe heel edge with nice it, okay and i can feel i can feel the, the interaction with the wave and the bump on the wave um through my knees and my hips now do you have a like a sp- do you write like more of a concave setup as far as like your, your board shape or I'm experimenting a little bit with it. Um, okay. Mono was the first person I saw that had the concaves for, um, where his hip amputation goes in for turning. And, um, so that was the first time I'd actually seen altered surfboards to fit adaptive surfers. And so like with, with all of that though, like, I mean, you, you've gone on, man. Like, like, are you, you're essentially like the team Hawaii captain anymore, aren't you? 
I don't know. It, it's so funny. Did, We're did, all on different like, islands. Like we've yeah. got Mike Coots and Eric Lazar and Kauai. Okay. And they're they're kind of pioneering um, their game. And, and Mike's been Kauai. Mike's been around for a while for sure. Yeah, yeah. He he helped Bethany when she lost her arm get back into surfing and um, develop that duck dive handle for her for duck diving. Um, and then in Maui, we've got Faith, who just turned 13. Dude, and she's freaking, she's ripping it, man. Like she has come so far. It's so dope to, to, to witness the quality of and progression and of her, her surfing journey just in the last few years that I've even known about this whole adaptive scene. Oh my gosh. She's grown. I, I swear she's grown four or five inches just in the last year. But she paddles out to the peak of the waves with all the boys, and um, <laughs> she paddles. I mean, she's got the one arm, and she paddles right. in the waves right, right out there, like with everyone. That's so dope. Yes, thirteen-year-old Grom. She's just out there charging it. I love that girl. <laughs> she's amazing. Um, so what did I mean? Did you surf before you? Uh, so you said you hadn't surfed before your your injury. You were just doing the the snowboarding thing prior. Yeah. I came from the snowboarding world and um, just with the different prosthetics and colder weather and um, the, I had total liver kidney failure, which caused my amputations with lack of blood flow to the extremities. Oh, dude. So I have hard, um, I have a hard time in colder weather um, with blood flow. When I stop being active and I'm sitting on the chairlift, I actually start to it, like the pain from lack of blood flow gets pretty Whoa. pretty intense. Yeah. That yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's funny because like people like, dude, you're you're blind and you're surfing. I'm like, dude, I don't have to put up with nearly the amount of shit that all the rest of you guys do. Honestly, like, I mean, I have we all have our stuff, and don't get me wrong, you know, I'm not even tripping on it, but like, like the idea of like, um, like uh, Darian Haynes and I joke about how I'm gonna do like a uh, tie one arm behind my back and she's going to wear eye patches or something to see if we can even it out. I don't, I don't, I still think she might still school me on that, but oh, <laughs> that would be cool. I would, I got to see if I can get some of the, the Maui crew around here to um, surf with some blackout goggles Yeah, or maybe get them to like strap an arm into their wetsuit and just try one arm paddling and surfing yeah i i tried to pop up one time with one arm. i know I, I i need both i'm so used to it right now like i, I maybe but um yeah. uh so like as far as uh so you did snowboarding before um and how because i have somebody right now who who wants to coach me on on being able to kind of get into snowboarding shape because i've never snowboarded before um how oh, yeah. similar do oh, you think dude. how similar do you think it is Oh, it's incredibly similar. Um, I've seen you with your surfing because you have, you have this incredible awareness with sound, oh, thanks, how dude. the wave Thank is you, moving. Dude. Like I've watched you listen to the lineup and how the wave's breaking and rolling through, um, sitting just on the side of the peak on the shoulder. And I'm like, wow, that's just it's amazing what you can pick up from your hearing. Um, my friend Noah, who's on Team USA for the Paralympic snowboard team, Right. He coaches um, blind snowboarders in Steamboat. And he's okay. had people on their like second and third day up like two thirds up the mountain doing runs top to bottom without falling once. Hell so, yeah. 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 You got it. You, you're you're no, I'm, I'm, def- I'm definitely, 
Well, it's so funny, dude. I've been surfing for like legit, like with actual any kind of instruction or anything. Like three years. Wow. Yeah. Like 2017, I think, is when I first started, something like that. So, you know, I, I, it, it, and that's honestly, it's got to be weird for you too. I mean, obviously you had the background in snowboarding and, and I don't know, we haven't actually talked about if you did anything prior before your injury or whatever, but like, um, I, it, it's really weird to be relatively new in my surfing journey and still be on like the U S team and be like competing against people from like Brazil and, you know, Australia and stuff like that's like, okay, cool. Uh, I barely know how to surf, but I guess found my niche somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? So well, and, and everybody from every country is just turning the volume and ability level up every year. Like it's, I'm, I'm only we been, haven't been doing this for a few years. I'm, I'm blown yeah. away every year. It just keeps progressing and everybody's just like taking it to new levels. It, it's pretty dope to see where it's coming. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, even a few years ago, uh, Scott Leeson, who I've competed against a bunch, um, and it was kind of like the first totally blind guy from the mainland to, to surf with any significance. Uh, he, I mean, he was competing against mixed in mixed divisions, like only for the first time. And up until 2008, no, wait, up until 2019 at the U.S. Open uh, in Oceanside, that was the first time I was ever in a contest where I wasn't competing against people that had some vision and people that had no eyesight. Like, you know, prior my first contest, you know, Matt was in there and Matt, no disrespect to Matt. He can, he's a rad surfer, but he can see like the lip of the wave and he can do a couple things that I can't quite as easily do just by sound or feel or whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, in 2000, you know, 18, I was still, you know, competing against Ling. It was her first contest. So that's probably the, the main reason I, I scored ahead of her. But like in 2019, though, like it was just just totally blind guys. It was the first time they ever did that. And then this last year at the, the Worlds, you know, so I imagine when you were first surfing and competing, did they at least get the the divisions right for you or they kind of mix them up a little bit? Because, they, you know, the, the sport as far as the adaptive side is definitely matured a little bit just in the last couple of years since you've been doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I was given the choice. Um, I could do standing or kneeling cause technically I was standing on my stumps. So ab- okay. above the knee. And, right. um, that's when coach Chris was like, okay, you need to, um, stay on your knees. Even if you have just one hand on the board, like a tripod that's allowed in kneeling. Right. Um, but for standing, probably gives you, you a lot of maneuverability. Be, yeah, with having being able to put the one hand on the board as far as turns, you probably got a lot more options that way. Oh yeah, the the guys I compete against have um, they've got their fingers in their hands so they can grab the rail, right? And um, so they can go up and do snaps off the lip because they can they can pull that that board right up onto the lip. I have right. to kind of, I have to I I got to kind of yeah nurse it up there a little bit with the hand balanced on the board. Could you put any kind of like like grip or something on your or like a to get more traction on the the hand that you use for that? Oh yeah. I wonder. Yeah. I um live Livestone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she, dude. She, oh my she, gosh. That she showed so. me one of her adaptive paddles. <laughs> so now I wax the bottom of the paddle. Um so it has extra stick on the surfboard. Okay. So when okay. I when I'm coming across and I grab the surfboard with that paddle, it just sticks right on. 
It's, there you go. Yeah. And Liv is another one. Like her, literally her first surf contest ever was the 2018 Worlds. It was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And she's and now she's out there as a gold medalist. It, like, like it's, it's, it's crazy. So. She, she gave me my first adaptive surf paddle. The first a paddle that I found that could attach to my um to my nub on my okay. my arm that doesn't have a hand because um every other surf paddle was designed to go like over someone's hand and strap right. on right and um with me with not having a wrist or hand they'd just slide right off and um yeah so, I would imagine securing it would probably be a little bit of a tr- bit of a trick yeah yeah her she figured it out and she gave me my first adaptive paddle that. I still use to today. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, you've been doing some, some gnarly stuff, obviously you've been surfing, like, um, you traveled to a bunch of places just with surfing, but you also, you just went for like a, uh, crazy marathon hike, uh, what yesterday or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, friend so of mine, what was this? Uh, she, she couldn't hike the Pacific crest trail this year due to COVID. Right. Um, so she decided to circumnavigate Maui, which is about 200 miles of coastline, if you're walking the coast. Yeah, only 200 miles, you know. Yeah, with a backpack. <laughs> um, and she's doing it to raise awareness for plastic pollution and ghost nets. So when she got to Haiku, the side of the island I live on, I offered to hike with her halfway to Hana, which was about 20 miles. And um, I... I didn't, I made it two thirds of the way with her in a day. Um, now is that, so how do you, like when you hike, are you using prosthetics when you're doing that or how does that work out for you? Yeah. I uh, wear prosthetics, um, with a water foot that can, um, handle mud, water, different terrain. Okay. okay. Um, um, so, so you got the surfing thing. You came from the snowboarding deal. You 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 got the hikes. Uh, what other like what time? I mean, I know you were just talking before the recording. You started getting into doing some some music and stuff. Was that a thing you did? Is that a more recent thing for you? Have uh, music been a thing for you for a while? Oh no, music music's definitely been a thing for me for a while. I, it probably was my number one motivator to get out of my bed and out of my wheelchair and out of my house um after i lost my the both legs and both hands and had um open heart surgery i was back in my parents house in a wheelchair and the, the road to recovery to um putting on prosthetics it was really hard without hands um no doubt but i, I had a real fear factor in my brain of falling down and um, not being able to um, get back up or get my stuff back on. So it, it took a while to, um, to reprogram my brain to push through the, the fear barriers. Sure. Probably and a lot of depression setting in too. Oh, yeah. And all the medication that the, the doctors and hospitals had um, prescribed for everything. But, yeah, I play percussion. I'm a percussionist. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. You got a band or anything going on? Or are you, you kind of writing some music right now? Or what's what's the deal? Obviously, performances are severely limited right now, but... Um... I've been really fortunate. I've been um, learning and getting chances to contribute with friends that are already musicians. Okay. 
Sabine invited to um, accompany them or play with them or just porch jams, sitting on the porch playing because um, there's no, even the, the bars and um, all the concerts are pretty much shut down here still. So, Yeah, Hawaii is doing it a little bit better than, than the rest of us as long as us. I, I know it's kind of a contentious thing, all the mainlanders that want to come over there in the midst of all this. You well, know. they they are allowed as of yesterday. Okay, because it was the 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 gateway is open. We were in July and August. We were having a couple of hundred COVID cases a day for the whole chain of islands. And as of right. two or three weeks ago, we were down to twenty to ten cases per day. So the state uh, went ahead and nice said, "Drop off." We said we've got it. Yeah. You know, we've got a good enough handle on it. Uh, we can go ahead and open the doors. So, right on. so like with, with the porch jams and stuff. So like you would sit like on, like in your neighborhood across porches or people just get on outside of people's houses and, and do that. Uh, the, the County and the state regs at first were um, 10 people was the number of people that could okay. be at a gathering. Okay. And then in July and August when um, Hawaii was at its peak for COVID, they cut it down to six. So oh, that's, See, I would be going, I'm, I'm, I love being around people. So if I had to like be that restricted, I mean, it's, it's been tough over here, you know, San Diego, Cal, I'm in Southern California and it's, it's pretty good. Most, you know, at least in San Diego, but, um, still though, like the, the isolation thing is, is, has been gnarly. I get it. There's, there's, you know, I understand why that's going on, but it's, it's been a little bit of a nutty thing. At least you've been able to get together and connect with people, play some music live. Cause you know, not being able to get out to the comedy club right now, man. Like I, I literally, I was like, oh, sweet. I'm getting better at the whole comedy thing. This is awesome. And uh, last time I got on stage was February and and nothing other than the podcast. I haven't in, had any kind of real dynamic conversation type of medium of expression. So, um, oh my gosh, kinda, I can't believe I, I can't believe this is the first I'm hearing of this. This is, this is too I've, incredible. I've only been doing comedy for like a couple of years. So, yeah, you know, it's not like I'm deep in it, but I, I love it. I lo- like stand up, like yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because well, you know, because there's a lot of fodder for 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 jokes and stuff. I mean, like, like I when I was in, you know, people not understanding the whole blindness thing, and it's not all I talk about, but like, people like literally, and, and I wish this was a one time thing. I multiple times I've had people try to do sign language with me, and wonder why it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like, love and it. that. And it's a real thing. Like, I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. Like I was, you know, I'm, I'm considerably older than high school, but when I was in high school, my girlfriend at the time, she was studying to be a sign language interpreter. And, you know, I don't know if you've hung out with anybody who speaks sign language or who is trying to learn, they'll sign everything, you know, whether they're talking to somebody who has a hearing impairment or not. And so she would always talk and, you know, that was pretty obvious. I was blind. You know, I had the cane. I read Braille. I ran into shit, right? You know, so <laughs> um, I wasn't there one day, and uh, this this other chick that hung out on the the fringes of our crew, who didn't really know me, I, we didn't talk at all. She came over to my girlfriend, and as I understand it, it went down. That's so great that you signed for him, and she wasn't joking. She was a hundred percent serious. Like, wait, wait I, I get. 
well, good on you for figuring out that he doesn't interact with the world the same way as the rest of us. But uh, did the the book with bumps give you a little bit of a clue what was going on? Like, <laughs> That's awesome. not 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 a, not a joke, but like you yeah. know, there's an because part of it is like I I tore my hamstring back in 2017. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, no, like late 2016, or whatever. Like I couldn't I couldn't really walk very well. I was was really focusing on judo competition in particular. And so if I can't get thrown and I can't really do a whole lot of training, I figured I'd try stand-up and I kind of liked it. And I, then I, I got back into it in the last couple of years. But, you know, so even if I'm injured, you know, there's still a little bit of consequence. But if you tell jokes, you know, and you bomb, um, you know, and you have a bad night because everybody does, you know, uh, there's there's consequences, but you're not – you know, getting a concussion, nobody's punching in the face or choking you out. If, if, you know, worst case scenario, they'll, you know, heckle you from this, from off the stage. So it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's kind of fun. Oh yeah. I've, Is that a thing you've done or I, I have tried, I have gotten up three times. Okay. And, um, All right. Yeah. And, and one, I, I didn't get heckled, but well, the, other, the other comedians at the comedy club after my set, I must've, they riffed on me. I had like two or three guys that well, riffed, that's the way on, that goes, riffed you know, on my bit. set. And, um, oh man, they, they laid it down good. They, they had, they roasted me for sure. I was, yeah, I loved it. Well, the upshot you have is the very first time, uh, I did stand up as an adult. Uh, you know, uh, I think you probably saw my dog. Uh, no, actually, I don't think I had my dog with me when I came out to Hawaii, but I had a guide dog at the time. And, like literally, like I, I, I made the mistake of bringing him up on stage with me. I stepped on his leash so he wouldn't walk away. I stepped off le- and literally halfway through my set, he walks off the stage. Let's forget this asshole. <laughs> the second time I did stand up, a fight broke out. Like there was a guy that was pretending to be from Australia that was, you know, heckling all of the comedians the whole night. And then like, uh, so, you know, he was... It, it had gone on, you know, heckled me a little bit. We all kind of riffed on him. It was good for us to practice our crowd work, whatever. And again, mind you, this is only the second time I've done stand-up. And then at the last guy that got up that night, and this guy over here is kind of pointing at the at the at the guy, and he jumps off the stage onto the guy. And so the two of them start fighting. Then, then they break it up, you know, because you know people who hang out in comedy clubs. We're super well-adjusted people. Oh, yo, for sure, yeah. (laughs) And and so like they break it up, and then his buddy decides that he thought it would be a good idea to start wailing on the security guard. So they literally kicked us out of this like, you know, this comedy club. And we're like, all right, everybody, get the f out of here, you know. And I'm like, and the guy who had gotten me on the list. Like he kind of sheepishly is like, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not usually like this. Please come back. You know, <laughs> just like, uh, but for some reason, I decided I, I wanted to go back. So it, it's it's a fun one when you can't get in the water, you can't do whatever. So I mean, you, you gotta. I feel oh, yeah. like, I feel like anytime you have something going on, you gotta find something that gives you a little bit of life, something that gives you a reason to get up in the morning. Um, you know, and so for you, like you got the music thing. You found obviously you found surfing. You tried stand up. Um, what was like, you alluded to it a little bit, you're starting to be a little bit more open about it. Um, you went through kind of a rough spot and like, a, and you, music pulled you out of it. 
uh, where, where can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Kind of let me know where and the listeners, maybe what was your headspace and how yeah. you got to a, your situation a little more? Um, yeah, I, um, I had different snowboarding injuries from um, trying to be a, a big mountain free rider and snowboarding in um, the early 2000s. This, this is pre-injury, obviously. Pre-injury. And um, just got hooked on and became opiate dependent on uh, chronic pain meds. So I, I developed an, ins- an insidious a, thing, the, the opioids, for sure. Yeah. After a few years, my dose had gone up three or 400% and the medication wasn't working anymore. Um, yep. And my body was getting taxed. It, it was, it had hit its end point and I had actually hit the, the max level of medication doctors could prescribe legally. It was, I was right at that top threshold in, in like the eight, eight Oof. to 10 pills a day. Um, so I ended up, I stepped on a fish hook. Um, I took my mom deep sea fishing and I got strep bacteria in my bloodstream and it went septic and my liver and kidneys just shut down from so many years of being on pain meds. So it was lack of oxygenated blood to the extremities. And I ended up in a coma um, for about two weeks here in Hawaii. That's some scary shit. <laughs> yeah. So it was the, the struggle of losing the limbs um, was one thing. But the amount of medication I was on leaving the hospital, um, already having a dependency to pain meds, was um, taking me farther down the rabbit hole. So it was I had a couple of years of living at home and struggling. I couldn't find I couldn't find that escape. I knew every time I'd get outside or go to a concert or a festival, I would feel completely normal. Like I would I would I would actually reach that that moment of like wow, okay, here's the fuel in my life right. to keep going but then I would retreat back to that box. And um, I hadn't fully cut the cord yet with pain medication. So I, I started so, working. So even after, even after the coma and everything else and almost dying from the, the organ failure, you were still kind of doing the pills and stuff. I went from eight to 10 pills a day over the next couple of years. I got it down to a pill a day or even half of a pill a day. It's a remarkable improvement, I'll tell you that. Um, thanks, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Not that you need my approval or anything. No, you know. I just I hadn't, um, I couldn't fully cut the cord. Yeah, it it was it it was music and sports and eventually like yoga and superfoods and just connection to live music and and being out in the world again is what finally cut that cord. And um, so it's been years now that I've been free from all of it. Beautiful. Um, but I did have a, a really dark place where I was still living at home. I hadn't moved to Hawaii. I hadn't become independent um, in my life. And I, I hit that suicide wall a few times. Um, and it was realizing the pain that it would leave on my family and all these people who had supported me through losing my limbs and um, everything that was going on in my life that, you know, kept me from, from actually um, p- 
punching that ticket, but I, there was an emotional PTSD and depression sure. weight that I just couldn't release and, um, surfing in the ocean and learning how to, to breathe, whether it was on the beach or out there on the surfboard, um, became this like soul medicine that just cleaned the slate every time it was, it's just, it was just magic. Um, I, well, I mean, obviously, you know, like I can, the ocean side, I can hundred percent appreciate that side of it. Like, you know, I have, I got diagnosed with PTSD and major depression like three years ago, um, not connected to my blindness, but if I go and I surf, I can have a shitty day where I catch nothing, but my, the roar of my negative mental health systems is almost nothing. A lot of times if I had, even if I had a bad surfing day, cause I got a chance to get out there. Like it, there's something very magical and healing about the ocean, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, every time just, just, just like you have, even if I go to the ocean and the waves, the waves are junk or I, I, you know, my, my performance out there, I just, I'm getting donuts and just getting worked and nothing's working right. I'll still come home and all of that stuff is, um, it's just so far on the back burner. It just doesn't come. It doesn't overwhelm me like it used to. But yeah, I, um, I just, uh, I, I really struggled with that, that monetary thing in life. I couldn't, um, I couldn't fund the level of travel and competing and equipment to pursue snowboarding. And, um, it was, it was, I just had so much PTSD and depression over not being able to connect with that and that sport and surfing is just, Unrealized board gold, in a kinda, wetsuit yeah. and the simplest amount of gear and you can go every day. So. Yeah. You don't need lift pack. I mean, you can live in a van and you don't need like lift passes or anything like that. You can just go out there and I mean, that's like almost like a stereotype anymore. And yeah. It's a stereotype because it's true. Cause like how many surfers do you know, live in the van life like, like on purpose just so they can afford to surf every day. Oh yeah. No, I, and I see I see these guys that live in their vans, and these guys are are healthy. They're happy, they're in shape. They're happy, and and they've got their finger on the pulse of swells, wind direction, what's going on with tides. Like they're on it. They're, they're great. Yeah, I, I actually what? really love the van camper community with surfing. I think it's really cool. Is now uh, is that your vibe, or do you kind of? Are, are you one of the the, the people who are like ah I, I can live have a regular house for a minute you know I I guess I still between... have you ever rocked that rocked that lifestyle before a little bit oh yeah I, I I've done it I've 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 done it it's um uh, it's super freeing um I haven't done it as a surfer yet though yeah. okay okay when I, when well, I was yeah, doing it I was, I was doing it at. with um for snowboarding. Is there a similar vibe, like as far as like the um, obviously warm weather sport, you know, cold weather sport? Is there a similar vibe in terms of the people? Do you think? Oh my gosh! Like between Absolutely. between the two, yeah. Or you know, so and 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 maybe they'll uh, 
maybe in serve contests, they'll learn to, uh, you know, the adaptive contest, they'll learn not to randomly test people for cannabis use because they realize how stupid that is. <laughs> I, I, I had quit last year for 10 months while I was touring and traveling with Mono. Okay. Um, because I found out last year I was going for the rankings and we were traveling in Europe and Bali and um, right. California for all these contests. And it wasn't if you hurt someone else, it was if you got injured on your own at an event and they tested you and you came up positive, you would lose all of your rankings and winnings for the whole year. That is the dumbest thing in the world. So I, out of that fear last year, I didn't, didn't smoke. I, I took my CBD full spectrum oil with me. Sure. But stuff well, that I think didn't that's, have THC that's been allowed. It, yeah, it's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's the craziest thing. I, 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 I do think it's the stupidest thing, though, because, like, you know, like snowboarders and surfers, it's like, it's not like people are completely clueless, like not paying attention, but it's, it is like, oh, I would almost think they should be testing it at surf contests for non-use. Like as compared to, I mean, like if you, if you really think about it, like literally I, I can think of more people I know, or it, it, it stands out to me more when people don't or haven't than, than when they do, like at least as far as the surf. And I know that that's a stereotype, but it's again, stereotypes are usually validated by someone. So, you know, there's it's it is kind of a funky thing but it's what it is you know no it's funny my um my drinking went up last year those 10 months that i wasn't smoking and um sure taking cannabis and um that actually hit a crescendo where i was like okay i need i need to change like i need to yeah. I need to to bring something healthy into my body that's going to relax me and detune me um that I'm not just over consuming alcohol every day. I, I had to weigh back off. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's not that surprise. I got, I had a, you know, I've been pretty public about it. Like I had a really negative experience with my first surf coach. Like it was real, you know, I've posted about it on social media and stuff without yeah. getting into the specifics. It was and the point where I didn't even enjoy surfing anymore. Mm. Like literally like I would start to have anxiety attacks before he and I would go out. Oh, wow. It was, wow. it was like, it wasn't fun anymore. Like I was doing it because I had won the U S nationals in 2018. You know, I was the guy who had, who had, uh, um, you know, blind surfer surf for less than a year surfing Kelly Slater's wave pool and all that stuff. I didn't have the, the, the financial stuff, the budget to, or the economic wherewithal to travel all over the world and stuff. But yeah, you know, um, wherever I went, I was doing really well. And there was like this pressure. And, um, through that, I got to kind of manage, I got fairly destructive with, uh, my alcohol intake, you know, and it's not a fun place to be. And honestly, for me, I don't know if this was you since you opened up about it a little bit. Like I found that my negative, uh, my mental health symptoms would get worse. Not when I was drinking, like if I had a buzz on, I was fine. But the next day, holy shit. Like it was, it's, you're, you're talking like I would have, I would be depressed like for the first couple hours of the day. And I could have maybe only had like a six pack, but I'd feel worse the next day. And, um, you know, backing off, I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking. I don't even think I'm an alcoholic, but 
you have to be smart about what you put into your body. And for me, like, um, taking breaks, being really mindful about what I put inside and the interplay between the, the mental health side and the, and the, what I'm able to do, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to work with John White, um, you know, for a while now, definitely all this year and a little bit of last, uh, but I fell in love with surfing again. And now, you know, we're doing this video contest, the, you know, shout out to amp surf and stuff. Yeah. Like it's, I don't, I don't really like video submission contests. I just kind of want to go surf, but like, I enjoy surfing for surfing's sake. It's more therapeutic again. It's more of a, a thing. Did, did you ever, do you find, did you find with like the, when you backed off on the alcohol, did you notice an improvement in your mental health when you kind of just tightened it up a little bit or, or is that just more My, of a no, mine thing? was similar. I, I really loved the social aspect of drinking and I felt great while I was drinking, but I almost, the stuff that was going on, whether it was just my past mental stuff, um, Could was be, deteriorating yeah. so bad. I had a hard time getting myself to the water the next day. Um, just being like, motivated just, or no, I just felt I had the same depression, PTSD, um, right. and, uh, just had a lot of, I just didn't feel good and I would actually drive to the ocean and it, it kind of just had like this burning in my skin where it was like, I just would look at the waves and I'd be like, ah, it's just, you know, it's windy. There's a lot of chop guys are too aggressive. You would, would find reasons not to get in the water. Of, of yeah. Going. yeah. Like I'd end up driving home and I would crack a drink and sit on the couch and like one, two drinks in, I'm like, I'm lubricating this emotional bandage with more alcohol and um, I wasn't right. getting in the water. That, but I did spot, have one man. scary th- experience in Bali. Okay. When, like okay. a month before I actually um, realized I was having a problem. I was drinking on the plane, drinking in the morning, drinking at the contest, during the contest. And um, some pretty serious surf came in that we had to use jet skis to get out and access. Right. Yeah, I heard and, Bali was kind of nuts when you guys went out this last time. Yeah, I ended up in my body from just the level of alcohol intake and not taking the sport and spirit and ocean as serious as um, you know, I do when I haven't been drinking like that. Right, right. I ended up in, you know, taking some waves and getting washed in on the reef and the jet ski couldn't come in and get me cause I was in on the rocks and I was getting pounded. And I remember that like, okay, you gotta, you gotta get yourself out of this situation. Um, cause there's nothing that can, nobody, you know, there's nobody that can come in on fins. Jet ski can't get to you. You gotta, but I remember that was like the closest I'd come to being like, okay, I, you know, in a normal situation, I would have not hit that panic button. Right. But I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm getting worked here. And afterwards I'm sitting on the beach and I'm like, you know what? Like, why, why was I drinking the last three days all day at night? First thing in the morning, like right before my heat, like, you know what? You know, I just didn't have that, that mental practice to be like, okay, you're, you're going into serious surf and there's some serious consequences. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, be ready for it. And so when, you know, the poundings were going on. I, I found myself in that situation. I was like, wow, I really, you know, I really let my mental state deteriorate. So. 
do, do you, was that sort of your, your wake up calls to kind of reel it in a little bit or? Oh yeah. Yeah. I came home and I did this five cents Ayurvedic cleanse, 21 day cleanse and my body and my, my spirit and soul and mental acuity after that cleanse, um, was so clear that, uh, I went, I went last winter. Oh, I, I took a good six months off of drinking. I could go to events and um, hang out with everyone and drink an Arnold Palmer and be right there, like U.S. Open things with with all the crew and everyone, and um, right. hanging out at the bar with everyone drinking. It just it didn't bother me. I didn't need to put it in my body, and eventually realized, like, okay, I, I found the medium that worked for me. And um, part of that was, you know, bringing cannabis back in and being like, okay, right. Know, there's, there's <laughs> tools, there's tools in the toolbox to use. You just gotta, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, and well, and the thing is too, is like, um, you know, it, it is a stereotype, but I think a lot of people neglect uh, or, or kind of minimize the, the medicinal power, uh, you know, that the plant has. I mean, like, um, like Jose, uh, you know, is not at all shy about talking about the benefits. I mean, he's, he talks about cannabis activism and, and the benefits that it's been to him um, this whole time and very open about it. And I, I think that like, as long as you're not stupid, right. As long as you're yeah. not kind of, you know, like popping like a thousand milligram edible, like an hour before you paddle out, that'd be kind of dumb, obviously. But like, oh, yeah. I think that, you know, I think that there's, it, if you if you've gone through a bunch of trauma, if you've gone through something, it's important to kind of find the thing that, that works for you that you're that you're not going to get stuck on, you know. So, um, other than uh, man, that's that's some heavy stuff, dude. Thanks for being like honest and, oh, yeah. and open about that because that's like I think that a lot of times people see you know somebody like yourself, you know, who's who's accomplished a bunch. I mean, you dude, you've been doing pretty well as far as competition, and and people see the kind of the accomplishments you've had since, and you know. Um, or they, you know, they see any of us, they, you know, like, like, oh, you're such an inspiration. That's so amazing. I could never do what you guys do. Blah. You know, like, and, you know, um, I, I think like, man, I, I almost, <laughs> I almost lost my, I think that it's really easy to get kind of caught up in the fact that, you know, sometimes we need to, to find some sort of an escape find some sort of way of, of, of managing with things. I think I might've lost my train of thought, but that's okay. Oh, no, I, can you're, riff. Oh, I, yeah. I can, I can, I can pick right up on that. I, um, yeah. in the things that I've been able to shed that, you know, wearing, wearing putting something on that was a jacket that felt good. And then I used that jacket as like this, this comfort to, to whatever was going on and then yeah. being able to find how to shed those things and yeah. bring other things in that work. I've actually found this healthier way of living. Uh, you know, it lets me breathe and be comfortable in my own skin yeah. without using these other things to like, to, to feel comfortable that, you know, they're, while you're using them and you're on it, it's, it's, it's working. But then when you're not, it, you know, the, sure. the downside is um, so much greater. What other things, because obviously cannabis by itself isn't going to make your life perfect, clearly. What are the other things that you do now, like as a daily kind of practice or, or regular practice, if not daily, that kind of help keep you in line? Well, I'm, I'm using a lot of earth medicine right now. Okay. I, um, I wasn't I wasn't just talking uh, no, like, like, like shilajit, this, um, this ancient mineral that oozes out of the Himalayas. 
Okay. And Sherpas take it. It's like, this is really... It's why they're such badasses heading up and down the Himalayas. Yeah. They're like, well, it, you're like... Yeah. I don't it's think the true. Sherpas get nearly enough credit as like, 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 oh, it's so amazing. I claimed Mount Everest. Well, yeah, but that guy that helped you, he did it five times this last year. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like that. And then cordyceps, this mushroom. Um, yep. And so I started learning about mushrooms and I was, you know, doing that with CBD. Sure. And um, I started mixing like MCT oil and ghee in my coffee in the morning. Okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been rocking the the Laird Hamilton stuff with the, yeah. the chaga roots and stuff. Yeah, so I'm with you on some of that. Totally, like that has been um, just this incredible toolbox. But I I also started switching um, the water that I drink. Huh? I do um, more like like objectively alkaline kind of intake, or yeah, I used to just go fill my jug up at the machine just up the road, which was like a reverse right. osmosis water. Sure, sure. Um, and then a friend was like, oh, if you're doing that, you need to add trace minerals because that water is slowly leaching the minerals out of your bones. Right. Um, and then people turn me on to alkaline water, this like pH balance, like living water. And I immediately noticed a hydration difference. Like I could drink the same amount of water, but my body was staying hydrated. You kind of, you could feel yourself kind of, oh, okay. I feel more me now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, cool. similar like any... drinking um, coconut water, like because coconuts sure. are such a superfood. Um, just yeah, changing I, that... the type of water that I ingest is. Do you do any like kind of mental practices or any kind of meditation tips on anything? Or yeah, I, I started doing this um, triangle breathing in the morning, like whether it's okay. five breaths or ten breaths. So, like for someone who hasn't like been practicing like deep breath, like a, a five second inhale, five second exhale. And like a, tr- a triangle breath would be like, okay, so you, you inhale for five seconds and immediately on the top of your inhale, you exhale for five seconds and then you hold for five seconds. So I, I picture like a triangle because it's like a three. So you hold, on, hold after the exhale before the next inhale? Is that the? Yeah, and then you reverse okay. it after you do it for like five times or 10 times and you exhale for five seconds or 10 seconds. And as soon as you're done, you immediately inhale for the same length of time and then hold on the inhale. So I've just found it's this great way to like move CO2 out of your body and fresh oxygen in. Um, so I just kind of do that reverse triangle breathing, um, like five breaths or 10 breaths in the morning. And um, just changes everything. Like, just gets the body, gets the CO two out, and gets fresh O two in. Uh, it's good to have that regular thing because I think sometimes, like, we think like, oh, and what supplements are you taking? What's that? And that's that's part of it. But honestly, there's a huge interplay between mental and you know, kind of your your ability to perform and, and enjoy life. I mean, honestly, like, why do any of us surf? We don't, you, you know, like. There's only so long you can surf or do any sport just for the sheer competition aspect of it, you know, being able oh, yeah. to get in and, and do it for the, for the joy of it. Um, and you've done like a bunch of travels. You, you said you went all over the world and you've been down to like, uh, granted you're a lot closer to New Zealand and Australia than I am a lot closer to Bali than I am on the mainland here. But, uh, where are some of the places you've traveled, uh, surfing or otherwise, but especially with surfing? I actually had never left, um, north america 
um, until I became a surfer. I had visited Baja a, a few times um, as a sure. teenager and had been up to Canada for snowboarding. But um, when I became a surfer and um, ocean advocate, my first overseas trip was um, flying from Hawaii to Tonga to do an ocean voyage for um, ocean awareness about microplastics and um, citizen science research, research and beach cleanups. And we sailed from Tonga to Fiji and throughout the, the chain of Tonga and the chain of islands in Fiji. And I got to spend a month on a boat doing that. that. So and we rad. brought surfboards because everyone from Maui that was part of the crew grew up surfing. Of course. Um, so they brought their gear <laughs> and, uh, that was my first like off, off the, off the islands and out into the world. And then last year, Masa from Japan and Mono from Australia. Right. Uh, they I invited... love both of those guys, by the way. Oh my the God. They're so great. Cool. So what is what a crew the pacific island boys. dude dude okay so, so I, don't, I, don't, I, <laughs> I i hope i hope masa doesn't mind me saying this i'm so sorry if this is like so you, you remember at the worlds right were yeah. you there hanging out with us at, at uh the shore rider at the end yeah okay so march 14th you know, it's the last day before everything exploded as far as things you know people i mean the, some of the australians had left early or whatever but yeah Masa is ordering nothing but Coronas and telling everybody he, and he's like three or four in and he keeps telling everybody that he has the coronavirus and chugging his Corona. Like that <laughs> guy has such the, like the most ridiculous over the top sense of humor. It's <laughs> hilarious, dude. Totally. Oh, oh yeah. No, that was, <laughs> I'm sure you, I'm sure you have no problem. Although you might even remember that. I don't know, but. Oh no, that, that but, broke my, um, six months of not drinking. I, okay. I, I partied with the boys and Corona, but like Corona was, I was coronavirus like... <laughs> was shutting down the world and the country. And I, I drank that final campfire. I was drinking Corona's with Masa. Yeah, yeah. totally. Well, and I, I love how, uh, man, I don't, I don't want to like kiss and tell because like there's, because so, you know, some of that, those, those campfires are sacred, but like, oh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, but like, I think uh, the person who shall re- remain nameless, we passed around a, a, a bottle of uh, Sailor Jerry's. Everybody took us like, oh, I guess we all have Corona now. You know, it was, it was, we were completely not even uh, paying attention to, um, like, there's no social distancing. No, you know, we, were, there was we, had, no... we were in the athlete tent shoulder to shoulder for four days with each other. And it was March 14th. Granted, yeah. you know, it was before we really realized it was a severe thing. But it was like, you know, to, to the point that that I, I uh, somebody passed me a joint and I took a took a little hit and it was it was soggy. The idea of doing that now is like, what, what are you doing? You're. <laughs> No, it's that I it's true. I I um I remember I think there we was all a knew lady things were gonna down there and she called the cops and she was Oh, like, on all of us? Yeah, she's no I, I didn't know at, about that. No, the event. She was like, This gathering is illegal because we there like the county had imposed like a hundred and twenty or hundred and fifty. Oh right. The, yeah, we were like one of the last things they hadn't shut down. Yeah, and it was the last day. And um, she actually got in a fight with Elena and Roy. Like Elena had no. her baby 
And Elena Dude. was calmly trying to talk the lady down and like be like, "Hey, we've been." And Elena's such days. a class act too. Like, uh, yeah. And the yeah. La- the lady just she she wouldn't stop. She called the cops. The oh, cops wow. came, and the cops were like, "Hey, you know, this, the event's wrapping up." They're, they're be really be funny if her name was so Karen. Much. Oh, it probably was. It probably was Karen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. That's. The Australians, I mean, they flew home and they've been in lockdown since. Well, I think uh, Bono had to do quarantine. He did. Yeah, he couldn't see his wife uh, for two weeks. I mean, like, and I know, like, uh, like Kirk, who has actually been kicking my ass a little bit in the, the virtual, or sorry. I'm sorry, Dana. It's not virtual. It's Home Break Adaptive Pro. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. The, you get so mad if, I say, if you say yeah, because it's, you know, uh, but uh, like Kurt flew out like right away. He just barely didn't make it to the to the finals. And so um, otherwise he and I would have hung out. But if he had stayed and made it to the finals and he and I would have competed against each other in the finals, like he would have had the same oh, wow. fate that, uh, you know, that Mono and, and Matt and everybody from over there had. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember the Stoke for Life kids got the, the bad news. They couldn't um, do their Colorado ski trip. Like that got in the middle of um, worlds. They found out because the whole team was leaving from there to fly for a week to steamboat. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I now Portugal cut out, I think, right? I think so. Didn't, like Portugal was supposed to come compete, I think. Uh, yeah. Italy actually. And I think, yeah, I think Italy didn't come either. Um, so, I don't think they could. The Italy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They weren't allowed they were one of the to. the first countries that, that closed both incoming and leaving flights. They were like, cause I was, I remember watching that at worlds on the news. Like I was, I would watch BBC over us news cause us well, news was focusing on, um, you know, like the, the democratic primaries. And, <sighs> and so I was like, I'd watch American news and it was all about elections. I go to BBC and they're showing like Venice quiet, like a ghost town. And they were bringing sure. drones in to, um, police curfew and i'm like well okay you know I'm, i was paying attention to the world news instead of u.s yeah news. well yeah. you know that's that's that could be why you're doing dope stuff like helping to bring awareness to plastics and you're you're kind of not immediately just being absorbed what you're being fed so that's probably a plus you know yeah um, it, it, i mean we're lucky we're surrounded by salt water here so it's like the ocean really uh, I, um yeah really. well and i ride a longboard anyway so it's easy for me to stay six feet away from somebody yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Hawaii took so it like, really serious. I um Yeah. They, way more than some of the other states over here. Good God. They they shuttered and immediately people went and bought supplies and started building gardens. Yeah. And um we you'd go to the beach and you'd see maybe four or five people all afternoon. Yeah. But uh so as far as you know, jump around like I usually do. Uh oh, so it. Um, with the, with the ocean stuff, the specifically the ocean awareness stuff that you that you were doing, you know, you had the 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 you're on the boat for for a month. How did you get into like conservation and awareness of plastics? Obviously, like as surfers, we realize, well, we better take care of the ocean if we want to surf in it. I mean, just in terms of being completely selfish. But, um, dude, I was paddling the other day, like maybe like a couple weeks ago, and I reached down and it wasn't. I thought it was going to be a piece of seaweed that was floating out there. It was a freaking candy wrapper. Yeah. Like, dude, really? Yeah. And, 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 it, and 
I mean, I guess it's more common than people realize, but it's like, you know, when you guys just dump crap on the, in the gutter, it floats down to the ocean and like, you know, fish choke on that stuff, you know? It, it got me sailing in the chain, the, the Fiji Island chain, um, in these, the most remote islands. And we're sailing around and the Fiji water bottles, the, I mean, somebody puts the lid on it, it ends up washing sure. into the ocean. Right. Um, I think one of the most iconic moments that sticks out in my mind is we were sailing um, in between Numatu and Cloudbreak. And we're passing floating Fiji water bottles in Fiji. And oh, I'm like, weird. this is, this is That's like something you would see in like a music video, some sort of absurdist kind of, it's not something you would actually expect to see in real life. Yeah. Well, it was the, the okay, so here's the inspiring part. In okay. Fiji, these little resort communities okay. um, started taking efforts to be like, recycle all the plastics they use at the resort and go plastic okay. free. And when guests check in, they give them a water bottle, they give them a reusable silverware set. When they go to the bar, um, there's nothing with a plastic straw or anything that's a single use piece of plastic. Right. And so they started, they moved to um, plastic free. And it was just this, in, this incredible in 2018 scene these beach island communities move away from plastic. Um, That's really even, cool. Even with their tourism, as they rely on tourism for their Right, income. and you probably get, like, entitled, you know, uh, people from, like, you know, whatever, Michigan or uh, – sorry, Michigan. I'm sure you got some nice people, but, like, coming in and saying, like, I'm a, I'm a, what am I paying you for? I don't want to have to reuse my – you know, like, they, they were willing to, to deal with all that and still take effort to keep their, their space clean. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the smaller islands that didn't have tourism that were just um, like in Tonga, it was a real problem because they, there's nothing they can do. They, ha- they don't have a solution. At, they didn't at the time other than They didn't have it. the infrastructure maybe. Yeah. And so as we're sailing different chains, um, you see these little like gray and black smoke piles going up. And right, because that's good for, islands, for air quality them. and and oh, it's cool. <laughs> and but they uh, they have to burn it because so much of it washes up on their beaches and they oh, so it's not even theirs; it just shows up there. Oh, this is stuff coming in from Japan or um, Australia through the the Pacific gyres, right? Just just the different currents shore. or whatever. Wow! And um, so they constantly are cleaning their beaches to keep it clean, but when the piles get too big, they have no other choice but to burn it. So it's it was this real like gut feeling of, okay, as a surfer and a person who cares about the ocean, yeah, um, you know, it, education that doesn't turn people off because the problem is huge, um, especially with ghost nets and um, marine debris. That's just what out there what are ghost nets for those people who don't know? Oh yeah, okay. So fishing boats leave the port with a certain amount of nets on the boat. Um, and they're weighed. So when they're out fishing and they've got this long, big trawl net and they're trying to repair it and they're making repairs so it's usable, but the mm-hmm. net gets torn or ripped or, or tangled up in a ball and it's sure. too like time-consuming it for the crew and the captain to stop fishing to fix, they cut it loose. 
and, and they just um, dump it in the ocean. Oh yeah, they just let it float. So then there's this massive ball of nylon fishing line that's just out there floating, and barnacles Which will trap start to fish grow on and, it and, it and all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. turtles, fish. Um, it becomes like its own little ecosystem. But anything that swims up near it to eat or feed or shelter gets caught in it. Then it's it's game over. Then it's um because they. Uh, you know, there's turtles that lose fins sure. or, um, so yeah, it was just what's being it. done to, to, to kind of incentivize, uh, you know, people who fit, you know, the commercial fishermen or whatever to, to not do that. Is there any kind of alternative or it's, it's gotta be on the consumer level. So it's, it's got, it's gotta be empowering the consumer to the way that they're shopping and the fish that they buy that comes from a sustainable fishery right. where their practice. So a distributor, so a distributor of the, the fish can indicate and make a pledge or whatever. We only buy from, yeah, you know, from whatever sustainable fisheries or, uh, and, um, cause some big fishing boats will also cut nets cause they'll, they'll get into a big mass ball of fish. So yep. they're leaving with a certain amount of weight of gear and if they're able to um, discard that weight while they're out of fishing nets, they're able to load more fish on their boat and make it back to port. Wow! Yeah, so it's it, it's eliminating. So you would think that corrupt you would fishermen. think that the you would think that the commercial fishermen would kind of go, if we want to keep fishing, maybe we should take care of the ecosystem that we're drawing from i don't know maybe maybe i think too logically at I, I, <laughs> I mean i you know i don't know when, I, it, when, you, it, when it you think about me. a healthy ecosystem with the ocean it wants healthy populations of its biodiversity you know stri- stripping it down to a crisis level just is a shock to the system on all levels in the ocean yeah. so having having those big masses of um whether it's tuna, um, salmon, fish out there, they're actually helping keep the ocean healthy, healthy and plankton yep. growth and every, every part of the ocean is so connected. And the ocean is this great carbon um, sequestration engine um, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. And uh, so fish, the, the fishery being healthy actually is helping keeping the ocean healthy. That's, that's, uh, well, well put. Is there, uh, do you have any like kind of call to action if somebody wanted to get involved in like helping to further that, like something they could do? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, it, whether it's like surf rider or the ocean voyage Institute or parlay, um, parlay, I know in, in Bali set up a program where the plastic bottles that's are recycled from the tourism that takes place in Bali Right. Get sold to Adidas and Quicksilver to um, make swimsuits and shoes and stuff out of the recycled plastic from the island. Nice. Yeah. So they're, they're turning into usable products. And these usable products are out there um, in a way. They're supporting, you know, like Bali getting plastic bottles recycled and reused. So. Very cool. Um, yeah, I think consumers yeah, and, and, and choosing like I'm gonna pay five dollars more for this pair of board shorts 
because it's made from 100% post-recycled um, plastic bottles. You know, it, it might ca- cost $5 more, but it's supporting that engine. That's, right, and um, you can feel good that. about where your, your money's going. You know, yeah. that's... Um, and yeah, definitely we'll make sure when we release the episode to put like links to all that. So I'll, I'll get those links from you and we can put them in the, the show notes and stuff so people can totally. do that. Um, I mean, another fun one is what I did. I, yeah. I raised, um, funds, um, through crowdfunding to, for the sustainable coastlines and Hawaii wildlife fund and Surfrider to go spend a month on the boat. And that changed my life as a, I was just learning surfing and as someone that didn't know anything about ocean conservation and I hadn't done any advocacy work, um, immersing for a month on the boat firsthand doing beach cleanups. Changes um, your perspective, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I just, it it was just a a life changing experience. That's cool, man. That's real cool. Um, I always, I, we, we kind of covered a breadth, uh, but what, uh, I always like to make sure that I give guests uh, an opportunity to share anything they were kind of thinking um, they wanted to get to, or just even kind of a thought you have, uh, you know, whether it's people getting involved with surfing, you already kind of talked about like the, obviously the, how to get involved with the, the conservation stuff. It doesn't even have to be surfing or, or conservation, honestly, but if there's any kind of parting message or, or just thought, uh, feel free to, to drop that. Oh yeah. I, for I, everybody. I just, it was on the WSL channel and um, Ziggy Marley did an interview talking about his father's music, the legacy of his dad, Bob. And um, this one love um, for the ocean that whether there is no country that stands alone when you think that the ocean connects us all. And um, that his love for the ocean, whether he's having a bad day or he just played the greatest concert, um, is his love for the ocean and um, his dad's love for the ocean. So when I, w- I was thinking about like one love and that positive message, I'm like, wow, the ocean sure. really, we are really one planet connected by the ocean, even though we're different countries and continents. Um, so I just, I kind of, I kind of been um, hashtagging one love on all my posts because I'm like, you know, to, to connected by the ocean, we're all connected no matter where we are. So. So maybe we should be a little kinder to each other, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that we, we aren't isolated so much. So that's, that's beautifully said, man. Um, I'm stoked, man. Like, like I didn't realize we had so much overlap, uh, you know, like, uh, just in terms of our general vibe, obviously, you know, we both surf and we have interesting interest in stuff, but, um, yeah. I think this is the most I've talked to you that wasn't like, Hey dude, I gotta go to my heat. See you later. You know? <laughs> so, oh, I know. We're we'll, always, uh, we're always on the beach or at a contest, but like I had, didn't know about your, your passions with music yeah. and, um, I had no idea you did stand up. I, yeah, it's such good. So, so cool. Right on, man. Well, Hey dude, seriously, thanks for coming on. It's been dope. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, again, like you got that adventure spirit, you, you're, you understand the power of the interplay of, of your mind and the way you live your life and, and making that connection for, for other people. So that's, that's beautiful. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I think my one tagline to like leave with people is right. what's, what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. 
So yeah, just believe in yourself. Repeat that again so, so that it sinks in if you don't mind. Okay. What's within you is stronger than what's in your way. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. So uh, thanks, thanks everyone for listening. As, uh, as always, adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you. Yeah.